So we're looking at Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Uh, through 11, we'll read through the verses and then we'll kind of come back and go over them. Amen. So the word of God reads Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. I'm coming out the NASB. It reads, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's and asked him to put out a little away from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep, to the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we have worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Wow, an overflow of blessing. But when Simon Peter saw that, here's our key point. Look at this. When Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus's feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him. And all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. The beginning of faith. As Christians, we rejoice in Jesus Christ as our Savior. If you can go back into your mind and just remember that, that time when you were sitting in church maybe somewhere, or, or, or maybe you were on the street and, and you heard the gospel and God began to, to work in your heart to where you understood the good news to where you understood your, your need for Jesus and oh, the elation, oh, how you felt so great because you understood the gospel. As I always tell you guys that when I first understood the gospel, the first thing I did was I called my mom because I was so amazed. Like, I understand it. I understand Jesus. I understand what him being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I understand. I understood it. And so I, I was so happy that I finally got it because I had grew up in church my whole life. That song in, in the choir, I'd been an usher. I quoted verses. I was always in church, but I had finally understood the gospel in my adulthood. And so there was much elation for me. I understood who Jesus was and the grace that comes through him. But as life goes on, as you begin to face the different trials of life, the, the day of the day, guess what? Your salvation, your glasses, those salvation glasses can begin to get a little foggy sometimes. Or, or, or a little dust can begin to, to develop on that trophy. I think about I have a, I have a great aunt and you, you walk into her living room 
And it's like trophy heaven. There's trophies everywhere, all around the wall. I mean, one of my uncles, our cousins, he was a great football player. And he, he played it professionally. And he played for the University of Washington. He got MVP in the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl. And so she has all of these big, huge trophies. And I have another cousin who's in the NBA. And he's won the slam dunk contest. And so she has all of these trophies just all in her living room. You walk in, you're like, whoa. But then after a while, you start walking in, you're like, they're not shining as bright as they are. The trophies look different. Why? Because a lot of dust has accumulated on those trophies that has taken away its shine. And that's what often happens to us. We, we fall in love with Jesus. We, we understand the cross. We understand who, what salvation is. And then the trials of life, dust begins to develop on that salvation. It doesn't shine as much as it first did when we first encountered it. Maybe it's not as appealing as, as it first was. And so what I hope that God does as we look at Peter's conversion, I hope that he helps to remove that dust from your spirit on how you value and treasure God. I pray that a rag just goes and just wipes it away, that you can see the, the shine of your salvation, that you can see the glory of Jesus and what he's already done for you as we study the, the, the conversion or look at the life of of Peter when he sees Jesus for who he is. So that is my prayer that that happens in you as you look at this word and not only just when you're doing your own Bible study, that that rag goes across that salvation that you have that may have gotten foggy, that shine that may have went away, that you wipe it off and that you're renewed and refreshed in Jesus. So let's look at verse three in this text. We have Jesus early in his ministry. He is a fame is already developing around him. People are already crowding Jesus. He's already beginning preaching in synagogues and, and doing great things. And so Jesus is now walking by the lake and he's beginning to, to preach. And there's such a large crowd that he has to get into a boat so he can get a more perspective. Because you know how like if, you, if you're standing right here and you have a bunch of people, you really can't see everybody. But if you step back. In that boat like he did, now he gets a perspective on everybody. Now everybody can see Jesus. And so he's now doing that. He's getting into this, this boat so that he can get a perspective of everybody and then everybody can see him. So Jesus is now climbing into this boat. But we see that this boat is owned by Simon Peter. So can you, can you imagine this? Simon Peter is sitting there. He's getting a front row seat to Jesus. He's getting courtside seats, basically. He's getting that, that 50 yard line view at a football game. He's getting that great view of Jesus as Jesus begins to preach the gospel in his boat. As Jesus begins to preach the, the good news of faith and repentance and forgiveness of sin, he's getting this, this front row seat of Jesus. How awesome could that be? You're right there in the boat. You're seeing Jesus preach. And so as, as we go down in, in verses four and five, we, we see that um, after Jesus had begun preaching or after he finished preaching, he speaks to Simon Peter and tells him to put out into the deep and let your net down. And in this verse right here, just in four and five, you're going to see the beginnings of faith start to bubble up in Simon Peter in his heart. Because think about this. Peter has been fishing all night and has caught nothing. And some of you who've been fishing, you know how devastating that is, right? You, you're going out to the lake. You're excited. You wake up maybe 
five, six in the morning. So that's when the fish are biting. You got your bait. You got your fishing license and you're ready to go and fish. And you're excited. And then you don't catch anything. How devastating is that to go out all night and come back empty handed with nothing in hand, no fish in hand? And here's the thing that makes it even more devastating for Peter, because Peter, this is not just a weekend fishing excursion for Peter. This is not, honey, I'm about to go and take the kids and go fishing. Fishing is his job. This is his livelihood. This is what he does. I have a, I have a, a coworker who's a, a fishing guide, and, and he takes people literally all over the world on fishing excursions so that they can go and catch um, great different types of fish. And, and he knows the water. He knows when the fish are biting. He knows what bait. He knows which area to go. And so that's the same thing with Peter. Peter is a fishing man. This is his job. And yet he goes out and catches nothing. So you can imagine how devastated he, he, he feels. But because he's with Jesus and there's this fame about Jesus spreading all throughout town, he is confident that, whoa, I need to listen to this person. And depending on how you harmonize the Gospels, when I say the Gospels, I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is, Peter's, this is not Peter's first time encountering Jesus. Go with me to John chapter 1. I want to show you something. John chapter 1, verse uh, 40 and 42. This is not Peter's first time encountering Jesus. And let me just put this out there, that there is some debate amongst theologians on the call of Peter and some of the disciples. Because as you look in some gospel accounts, there's some, there's some detail. Some say, no, it was just one encounter that Peter had with Jesus, and he left and forsook all. And some say, no, he met uh, Jesus one time with his brother, and so this is his second time. And, and so we're just looking at the first time he met Peter. John chapter 1, verse 40. Let's look how it reads. It says, uh, um, one of the two who heard Jesus speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. It says he first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, meaning a stone, Peter, a rock. So this is Peter's first encounter with Jesus. This is his first encounter with Jesus. What we're looking at now is his second encounter with Jesus. So he had already encountered Christ. He had already encountered Jesus. He had already heard Jesus speak. There was a fame about Jesus going around town as Jesus went in the different synagogues and preaching. So this is not Peter's first rodeo, if you will, with Jesus. And so when, when Jesus tells him to go and cast your net out into the, 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 the ocean, he understands that Jesus is somebody that I should possibly listen to. But here's a, here's a great lesson that I believe as believers that we have to take away from Peter and his encounter with Jesus. And that lesson is that even though Jesus' commands contradicted Peter's current reality, he still did it. Even though he went fishing and caught nothing and know that the fish weren't biting because Jesus said it, he went and did it, even though it contradicted his current reality that he was facing. See, 
our natural ability, our natural thinking is to walk by sight and not by faith. That's how we naturally are. Our natural thing is to say, oh, I got this problem right in front of me. I'm holding this bill right in my hand that says 30 days past due. I'm listening to the doctor give me the bad news. See, we're so used to operating by sight. But what we should learn from Peter is that we must operate by faith. And not by sight, because if Peter operated by sight, he wouldn't do. But because he understands that Jesus is somebody that he should listen to, even though his current reality has been contradicted by Jesus's command to go out and fish, yet he does it because it's Christ saying so. And so that's a nugget that we can take from Peter. That even whatever you're dealing with, I know you're looking at the problem. I know it looks impossible, but we must walk by faith and not by sight. We don't walk by just what we're seeing, but we're walking by faith. Even when things seem to not go the way that we think they should go, we're walking by faith like Peter. We're going to be obedient to Jesus' command. And that's, that's what happens as you read the scripture. There are going to be things in here that go against the reality that you're looking at. There are going to be times where, God, you're really telling me to do this when I know what I'm looking at right now with my natural eyes. My faith is telling me to go this way. That's going to be us. That's us. That's the scriptures. And so we see that is what's happening here with Peter. Peter understands. He's coming to understand that God is all powerful and all knowing. And so even when we don't understand and even when things that God says may contradict our reality, what we're facing and looking at, yet we follow through and we go with God. And so that's what we see what's happening here with Peter in verse four, because Jesus tells him to drop down his net. So he is dropping down his net regardless. So in Peter's obedience, guess what he gets to he gets to see? He gets to see Jesus demonstrate his power over nature so look at verse five simon answered and said master we worked hard all night and caught nothing but i will do as you say and let down the net when they had done this they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break so they signaled to their partners in the other boat and they came and started to help them so Jesus now demonstrates his power over nature. But the beauty of this incident is Peter's response. What is Peter's response in verse 8? Verse 8 says that when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. See, Simon Peter has just heard the gospel being preached by Jesus, and now he's heard the gospel, and now he's seeing what the gospel can actually do. And he's also seeing a miraculous power that is coming from Jesus. And so when you put all that together, Simon Peter is now coming to that aha moment. That's what's taking place there in verse 8. Simon Peter is coming to that aha moment where I get it now. Jesus, I understand who you are now. I understand how great you are, just like with me when I when I um, understood the gospel. I had that aha moment. Simon Peter in verse eight is now coming to that aha moment. The light bulb is now being cut on and he realizes that the, the grace of God is there right in front of him. He sees Jesus. 
See, the grace of God at this point has now just reached into Simon Peter's heart and he has removed the blindness so that, that now Simon Peter can really see who is standing in front of him. That is the beauty right there. The grace of God is going there, removing blindness. And now Simon Peter realizes that he is standing in the presence of holiness. Look at that. He realizes who he's standing before. And now he is blown away because he's standing in the presence of holiness. And guess what? Guess what happens when you begin to see how great and grand God is? Simon Peter begins to see how foul and dirty and wicked he really is. Why? Because he's in the presence of Jesus. He's in the presence of holiness. So now he sees that I am foul. I am dirty. So he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Why? Because he sees the beauty of who Jesus is now. And he sees how foul and how dirty he is. And see, What's happening with Simon Peter is the opposite of what the world tells us. See, the world wants to tell you that, guess what? You're not sinful. You're great. You're not sinful. Let's, let's build up your self-esteem. Sin? What sin? That feeling you feel, that's just natural. That's just human. See, the world wants to build you up. But no, Peter, with the spirit of repentance working in him, sees that he is wretched. He sees that he's in a presence of holiness and he recognizes, no, I am not great. No, I'm not all this. But yes, I am a sinful man. The spirit of repentance has come upon Peter to see Jesus for who he really is and to see himself for who he really is, which is the opposite of what the world tries to tell us who we are. The spirit of God is working in Peter. And guess what? Peter is in great company. Let me show you the company that Peter is in. Go with me to Job, Old Testament. This is beauty. Go with me to Job, Old Testament, 42. I'm sorry, I didn't give you the chapter. Let's see that Peter, he is not in... He is in great company with his perspective of how ratchet, how messed up he really is as he encounters God. So Job, in Job 42, Job had been going back and forth with God. Job is questioning things, wants to know what's, what's happening, why this, why that. But then something beautiful happens in Job. His eyes become open and he sees God for who God really is. So look at verse 5. And six, look what Job says when he comes to his senses to see who God really is. He says, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you. Verse six, the beauty. Look what he says after hearing God. Now he actually gets to see and understand who God is. Look what is the next response. Look at verse six. Look what he says. He says, therefore, I retract or some of your King James version may say, I abhorbor myself or I despise myself. Job now sees who God is, that God is so holy and great. And he realized who am I to even be questioning God? So now he realizes, oh, my goodness, I see God. And I, I look at myself now and I abhorbor myself. I despise myself because I see how great and grand you are and I'm trying to look and ask you questions and I'm just dust so now I despise myself 
that's the same process happened with Peter. When Peter's in the presence of Jesus, he says, oh, I'm a sinful man. He realized how holy Jesus is. And now he realizes how despised and wicked he is. And that is what is happening with Job. Job gets it. Now he sees God being holy and he realizes, man, I despise myself. I abhor myself. Because I'm in the presence of God. And I'm, who am I? See, Peter is in great company when he sees how bad his situation and circumstance is. Now go with me to Isaiah. Let's, let's see another, another brother who experiences the same thing. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 5. Another brother, Isaiah, gets his glimpse of God, of heaven, of glory. Let's see how he responds. I read it, verse 1, Isaiah 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uh-oh, here he goes. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. It says, the seraphim stood above him, each having seven wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. And one called out to another, saying, look what the seraphim are saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So they're just worshiping him. And verse 4 says, And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with the smoke. Here we go. Look at verse 5. Then I said, Woe is me. Look what he's realizing. He's in the presence of God. He's seeing the beauty of God. He says, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. He's seeing his depravity. He's seeing his sinfulness in the presence of God. That's what the presence of holiness does. He, he sees how wretched he is. And he says, for, my, uh, for I live among a people of unclean lips. And he says, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. So what is the, what happens when he gets in the presence of God? He, he sees the beauty of who God is and he recognizes, whoa, I don't deserve to be here. I'm, I'm a person of unclean lips. I dwell amongst unclean people and I'm in the presence of God. Whoa, whoa is like a, a cry out like, oh my goodness, I, I should not be here. God is just so great, so grand. He's saying, whoa, why? Because he's in the presence of God. Just like Peter. Just like Job, when they recognize who God is, they begin to see how ratchet they are, how sinful they are. Just as in the Psalms 53, when we read that, how wicked man is. That's what happens. So we come to see that our brothers Peter, Job, and Isaiah, in the presence of God, they have found something beautiful. Guess what they have found in the presence of God? In the presence of God, they have found low self-esteem in the presence of God they have found low self-esteem they realize that they are just sinful people that they are racket that they are wicked they are not thinking highly of themselves they found low self-esteem in the presence of God and I say fine because many people don't got it they think we're, we think we're okay we think we're fine just on our own I'm good on my own no they found low self-esteem they found that they are really ratchet people that they so need God and that's why Paul says in Romans 7, uh, I'll, I'll, let's go there so you can read it. Go to Romans chapter 7, verse 118. I said not 118, but verse 18. Chapter 7, verse 18. 
look what Paul says about who we are, our flesh, our humanness. He says in verse 18, chapter 7 of Romans, Paul says, For I know that nothing, look, good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. <laughs> For the willingness present in me, but the doing of the good is not. So Paul recognizes just like Job, just like Isaiah, just like Peter, that there is nothing good that dwells inside of me, my flesh, in my humanness. As a natural man, I am not a good person. As a natural man, I am a sinful person. I am a person enslaved to Christ. I, I mean, enslaved to sin. Naturally, naturally, I am in need of rescue. I am in need of a savior. So this is what Peter, Job, Isaiah, they realize in the presence of holiness that I am nothing on my own. They find their low self-esteem. Here, here, here's this, here's, here's the, the, the crazy thing. Every now and then, this is a very important thing. Every now and then, for some people, for others more than others, and I say for some people, I'm talking about people in the world, every now and then, people in the world, they actually come to this reality that nothing good dwells inside of them. But they don't call it our sinful nature. They don't acknowledge that man is fallen and broken. The world calls it insecure. They call it insecurities. They say, hey, this person is insecure or this girl is insecure because they're not believing in themselves because they don't believe that they can do it. They're, they're insecure. No, they're not insecure, but they're tapping into their fallenness. Yes, they are right. They are not sufficient in themselves. That is the whole point. They are not sufficient in themselves. And that is what the good news of God brings us. See, the gospel, it frees us from our insecurities because the gospel says, yes, you are weak. Yes, you are sinful, but God is strong and he is able. But the people of the world, they say, no, you're not. It's not because you're sinful. It's because you just have low self-esteem or maybe it's just because you have uh, these insecurities. Once you just believe in yourself, you'll be okay. No. That's your fallen nature you're actually tapping into. That's why you feel so insecure. You should feel insecure because you are not able on your own. But the world wants to call it by something else. See, our insecurities result from an overdependence on our fallen nature without acknowledging that we have a fallen nature. But the gospel says, no, you must acknowledge that you have a fallen sinful nature. And that's what Peter does with the spirit of repentance. He recognizes that he is a wretched sinful man. That's what Peter comes to. He sees. Now, here, I want to do a, a contrast with you. I want to contrast Peter and Luke 5 come to the realization that he is a sinful man because he's in the presence of Jesus. And I want to contrast that with what Jesus says about another group of people. So go with me to Luke 10. Same book. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 13 through 15. Look what happens here. Jesus is going to start scolding these cities. And let's see why. And I want you to contrast that with how Peter's response. So verse 13, Luke chapter 10. 
It says, woe to you, Chorazin. Jesus says, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the, in the judgment than for you. Look what he says about, 50, about Capernaum. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to the heavens, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. Why is Jesus scolding these cities? The reason Jesus is scolding these cities is because he went through these cities preaching the gospel. And he went through these cities doing miracles. You find him in Capernaum, he goes to the synagogue and he preaches the gospel. And then he goes and heals people. He casts out demons. He, he does all these miraculous deeds. And he said, I'm doing all of these things in your city. And guess what? You're not repenting and believing in me. See, they're doing the opposite of what Peter's doing. Peter witnesses the miraculous deeds. Peter witnesses Jesus preach the gospel. And what does Peter's conclusion come to? God, I am wretched. I'm sinful. But these people, they are not repenting. They're just going the same way, even though they're seeing the same miraculous deeds that Jesus has done in the presence of Peter. They're just going about their natural way. It has no effect on them. So Jesus is scolding them because they are not repenting and believing in him. But Peter, Peter sees it. Peter sees it because the grace of God has come upon his heart and he sees Jesus for who he really is. And so when he sees it, he recognizes how messed up he is and how glorious Jesus is. Beautiful thing of the gospel. And think about this. Have you ever come across people? You look at their life and you see that they're fortunate and you see the hand of God all on their lives and they don't even notice it. Have you, have you, have you seen that before? You've seen people, they don't like, you don't even know how blessed you are, how God has just kept you and, and you're not even seeing it. That's the same thing that's happening with these people that Jesus is scolding. They're seeing the beauty of God. And they're really not seeing it, though. They're seeing it, but they're not seeing it. And so that's what we see here. These people not seeing it, but yet Peter, by God's grace, he sees Jesus for who he really is. And thank God that you see Jesus for who he really is. Thank God you recognize that you are a sinful person outside of the grace of God. See, that is grace. And that is the beauty. So get back to, to Luke 5. Back to Luke 5. So Peter comes to an understanding of who Jesus is, holy. He sees who he really is, sinful. And we see that in, in, in the uh, verse 10, a sense of fear comes on him because Jesus says this in verse 10, the B portion. Jesus said to Simon, do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. So Peter now recognizing how sinful he is, recognizing he's in the presence of Christ, has this fear upon him, this repentance. He, he has this fear, and, and Jesus goes by his grace and comforts him and tells Peter, do not be afraid. But here's one of the most beautiful things about this verse, the end part of this, is that Jesus says, yes, Peter, don't be afraid. You're good. But after he says that, look what he tells Peter. He says, from now on, you are going to be catching men. Jesus now goes and gives Peter his true purpose. After this fear that Peter has, Jesus now gives Peter his purpose for living. He now gives Peter his identity. That you are going to be a disciple of men. 
that you're going to go catch men. You're going to fish for men. See, Peter now has entered into or bumped into his purpose. He's now bumped into the reason why his mother carried him nine months in her belly. See, now he has his purpose. Jesus says, you are going to be a fisher of men. That is grace. Don't be afraid, Peter. And guess what? I got a purpose for you that you're going to start walking in. So he gives Peter his identity. He gives Peter his purpose, and that is to be a fisher of men. And that term men in Greek is, um, how do you say it? It's, it's anthropos. It doesn't mean just men. It means humans, basically, men and women. So it's not just a male, but that word in the Greek means men and women. So he's telling Peter, you are going to go be a fisher of men and women for me now. So Peter, in this moment, gets his purpose for living. Why God has him going in his mommy's belly. It is that you can go be a fisher of men. You're going to be a leader in the church. So this is the beauty of God. And think about this. Peter is a grown man at this point. Peter is a grown man. Peter has a wife. He has a fishing business. But now he is truly beginning to walk in his purposes. He's a full grown man, adulthood. But now he is beginning to truly walk in his purposes. So that means that whatever happiness that Peter had or experienced before or whatever love that Peter had experienced before or whatever success that Peter has experienced before is nothing compared to this new life that he's about to live as he begins to walk in his purpose, as he begins to walk in his calling. Why? Because he encountered Jesus. And not only did he just encounter Jesus, more importantly, Peter followed Jesus. It's not just the encountering, but it's the the following. It's not just coming to church. It's not just reading your Bible and going to Bible study, but it's the thrill of obedience and following Jesus. You can come to church all day. I know people that have been going to church their whole life, and their life has not been transformed. It is not just the going to church, but it's the obedience and following Jesus. And Peter does that. He follows Jesus into his purpose into his identity, into his reason for being. It's the following. This is why Jesus says in in Matthew 11, go with me there to Matthew 11. Matthew 11. Some of you guys know where I'm going, 28. (laughs) Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 29, he says, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. This term yoke, you got to understand, yoke was the different rabbis, for example, the different rabbis, had different interpretations of Old Testament scriptures. So one rabbi would have this teaching, this yoke of teaching, and another rabbi may have this yoke of teaching. Jesus, when he says, come and follow, I mean, come and take upon my yoke, Jesus is saying, come and be my disciple. Take on what I'm saying, what I'm teaching. 
See, the rabbis, they had all these different Old Testament interpretations and Old Testament teachers. And so they would have these different students known as their disciples follow them in their teaching. And their students would begin to teach what their rabbi is teaching. Jesus is saying, take upon my yoke, be my disciple, meaning follow me, not just encounter me. Not just come and praise and worship, but follow me, be yoked up with me, walk with me. See, that, that is where the, the, the joy of, of walking in our, our Christian life comes from. It's not just the, the coming and doing church, which is great and which is awesome, but we have to be obedient to Christ. It's the, it's the thrill of obedience. I, I think about, I was, I was watching, matter of fact, I was watching a YouTube video of a pastor, and he gave a great analogy about what it is in the thrill of obedience and following Jesus. And he gave the analogy of a base jumper. You know those base jumpers, those people that like extreme sports. And they go, and they go to an edge of a mountain, and they have that little suit on, and they run, and they jump off, right? And it's exhilarating for them. They're like, woo! And so they're really liking it, and that's their thing, but that's not my thing. I, I ain't jumping off a mountain or a cliff. And so they go and they, they jump off a mountain and they, they feel so exhilarated as they're flying in the air and that parachute comes. And he said, what if a person put on the parachute, went to the edge of the, the mountain, doesn't jump and start going, woo, and acting like he's really jumping? He's like, that's no thrill in just sitting there and looking down and acting like you're doing it. The, the, uh, the thrill is when you actually do it. Same thing with Jesus. It, it, the thrill is obedience. It's when you actually begin to follow and do his work and to follow his commandments. That's where the thrill and the joy really become, comes from. I think about the times when me and my wife, we go out and we go in with Brother Fernando's family and we go and do a Bible study. When we leave that house, we're on fire. Why? Because we're doing what Jesus said. It's a thrill. So that's what, when, when Jesus says to follow me, it is not just to encounter me. Peter is actually following, walking with Jesus. It's not just a, hey, I'm just coming to church. It's no, I'm following you. That's what Peter does. He follows Jesus. And see, I, I am scared for the person who has encountered Jesus and just went back to living his life, who's just indifferent to Jesus who's not really following Jesus. See, it's you have to go and follow like Peter's doing. Following. I hear some say that, Jerome, I regularly go to church and, and I regularly read the Bible, but I'm not seeing any transformation in my life. My question is, are you following Jesus by faith? Or are you just encountering Jesus and not actually following him as Peter is doing? Peter is following See, oftentimes we look at celebrities on TV and different people and we see them with all their money and fame or even if it's just the Joneses next door and we look at their life and we, we think that they're living. But guess what? Nobody has begun to live. Nobody is truly living until they have first encountered Jesus and begin to follow Jesus. That's when Peter begins to really live when he's following Jesus. That's why Christ says in John 10, 10, that I have come that they may have life. Meaning that without me coming, without me incarnating, without me descending, without me leaving my heavenly throne, there is no life. So nobody's not living if they haven't encountered Christ. But we see that's the thing that is happening with Peter, that he's encountered Christ and now he is following Jesus. So let's look at verse 11 and 
Luke 5, as it keeps going. In Luke 5, I mean Luke 11, chapter 5, we see that he, Jesus tells Peter in verse 10, do not fear. From now on, you're going to be catching men. So give some grace. Tell them, don't fear. You got a purpose here now. Now walk in this. Look what happens in verse 11. It says, when they had brought their boats near, they left everything. What did they do? And followed him. They just didn't encounter Jesus and say, whoo, that was a great encounter. Great miracle, Jesus. Catch you next time. No. I'm walking with the lover of my soul. You're holy. I'm not. I'm sinful. Now I'm, I'm following you. And it says that they forsook all, everything. Imagine you got this fishing business that you have built up. You had all these things. And they're saying, I'm, I'm leaving this for Jesus. What they're doing is called reckless abandonment. They're saying that no excuses, Jesus. I see who you are. I see who I'm not. So now I'm following you. It's not just religion for them. It is a relationship with Christ that they said that now I'm going to forsake all and follow you, Jesus. And that is what's happening here with Peter. And he said the disciples they have now encountered. And they are forsaking all. Why? Because they have found the treasure. Let me show you what reckless, aban- reckless abandonment does not look like. Go with me to Luke 9, verse 59. Luke 9, verse 59. So we see what Peter and the disciples, we see what reckless abandonment looks like. In this verse, I want to show you what reckless abandonment does not look like. Luke chapter 9, verse 59. We hear it? And here we go. Look what Jesus says. And he said to another, follow me. Look what this guy says. But he said, Lord... Permit me first to go and bury my father. Verse 60, but Jesus said, but he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, you go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. 61, another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That is what a reckless abandonment does not look like. We see what reckless abandonment looks like in Peter and the disciples. They see holiness of God. They recognize how needy they are, and they're following Jesus. They're not making excuses. They say, Jesus, you are the most important thing. And brothers and sisters, that is what Christ is telling us. He wants us fully committed to him, fully following him. Why? Because we are just these these messed up, vile sinners, and he has come and given us life. And because of that, we so love him. And that's what he's showing us here. And the call of Peter. So for some of you, it may have been at church. You may have heard a sermon. Again, you got convicted. You felt horrible. And you recognize your need for Christ. I'm telling you again to think about where God has brought you from. Think about the salvation that you now have. Just like Peter. You were wretched. You were needy. But God has come through and rescued you through Christ. You are in need just like Peter, but God has come and given you purpose. 
He has come and given you an identity. You have now begun to truly live because you have encountered this Christ. Reflect on your salvation, where God has brought you from. So just like Peter, you can continue to forsake all in your pursuit of Jesus, in your pursuit of the kingdom of God. That is what we see here happening with Peter. Peter is surrendering all to Jesus. Amen.